Yeah, 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 yeah. The Lord will reign forever. There is no God that calls himself king. No other God. Um, and that is such a beautiful picture. God's transcendence and eminence at the same time is his kingship. I Meaning he's king, he's above creation, but to rule it, he has to touch it. So, beauty of his kingliness. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our imperial majesty. Um, that you will reign forever. Jesus, I can't wait to see what it's going to look like based on 1 Corinthians 15 for you to hand the kingdom back over to God the Father. You are going to take off of your crown and you're going to crown the non-corporeal essence of the Father, King of all creation. Um, so what sights do we have to see? What sightseeing are we going to do for eternity? It's going to be so beautiful. It's not going to be a museum. A museum is you're looking at dead things. But we serve a living God um, who is a, a, a beautiful, beautiful artistic picture of holiness, of beauty, of grace, and of all that makes God God. Lord God, I didn't pray for it earlier. Touch those who have, mis have had miscarriages here, Lord God. Um, will you encourage their hearts um, that you would give them the opportunity to represent your reign through raising a godly seed? Help them to learn through these times but, Lord, I, I can't wait to hear the praise report because my wife and I thought it was a wrap for us. And um, you graced us with pregnancy after miscarriage. So thank you, Jesus, for your encouragement. What a great desire it is. What a great desire it is for people to want to raise kids in a day where people want to push their careers so hard, where people are in tears to just have one, to raise and to love. So will you provide that, Jesus? Will you provide that? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Um, What's up, Overflow? How y'all doing? Everybody turn around and say hi to the Overflow folk. Sorry, y'all. Got to get here, you know, a little earlier. Sorry. Um, but we're going to go to two gatherings soon. We get all our leadership stuff together. So um, thank you for coming. Um, Pastor Deuce is going to slip down there and say what's up to you. Um, but thank you for coming. God bless you. Um, today we're, we're still up in First Peter. Um, and I, I've just been blown away. How many of you are blown away by First Peter? Yeah. Not me teaching it, but First Peter, the book. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it, it always, it never ceases to amaze me um, of what's in, the, what's in the scriptures and how much the scripture covers. Um, and we've been going through First Peter, and it's been a wonderful time us talking about um, what does it look like for Believers to remain faithful in the midst of opposition. What does it look like for believers to still look like believers and even more like believers 
because of going through difficult times. And today what we're going to talk about kind of reminds me the other day I went in a store. I'm not going to say which one because I don't want to offend anybody. But I went to a store and I went in the store and I was like, um, I saw some polo, like shirts, man. And they were like for a banging price. You know, them joints usually run a bean, right? I'm sitting in there. I walk in the store and I'm like, oh, snap. I looked at them and I was like, oh, man, polo. I, I, I looked at the man on the horse with the thing. And I, I was like, something ain't right. Something ain't right. And you know, back in the days, I don't know if y'all remember, you know, Aza, Agal, and all that. You know, if we, you could have something on the outside, but we would look. We'd make sure. We'd say, pull your tag up, fam. Y'all don't know about that. And you had to show your tag. You know what I'm saying? Don't let it be like sewn by your mom like you took it out of a shirt from the thrift store that you couldn't fit and put it. See, we know all the tricks. Um, but, I, um, I, I, but, I, but I was looking at the joints and I was like, man, why does the man look like he's playing golf and not polo? That was first of all. But then when I looked at the, 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 the it said polo by Ralph Lauren and I looked inside and like it didn't look like, you know when you see a crisp polo? It's just crisp. And then I looked at the material. And I was like, this just looked like one of them 999 footlocker joints, right? And I was like, man, I, like this is not the real thing. I was going, I, I remember I can't afford no Jordans, but I was looking at some Jordans. I was like, man, these are some nice Jordans. Pastor Deuce was with me, and um, Pastor Deuce was like, well, you gotta be careful. I was like, what well, why? He said, cause some joints be knockoffs. A knockoffs? In the regular store? He's like, yep. I said, you mean to tell me people go through all the work of a mimicking what the actual shoe looks like to make something that looks like it in order to sell it to people for the same price? And I thought about that, and I was like, man, there's a culture out here of just clothing knockoffs. And I thought, I said, man, Clothing knockoffs, sneak knockoffs, pants knockoffs, hat knockoffs. But I thought about it, I said, man, that kind of reminds me of the church sometimes. Sometimes you got knockoff believers. Some old knockoff third world store type Christians. You know what I'm saying? You know. People that look like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, they get chills down their spine like a Christian, they know how to say hallelujah like a Christian, they even quote scriptures like a Christian, they know how to say amen like a Christian, they know all of the Christian culture and Christian ease, but something about them is suspect. And when you get up close to them, you know what I'm saying, they, they got a knockoffness about them. Not necessarily everything that they're cracked up to be. And Peter helps the Christians here in Asia Minor through that issue. He doesn't want them to be knockoffs. And he talks to them about the fact that he wants to see and God wants to see ultimately authentic Christians. Say authentic Christians. 
Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Authentic Christians. I just got two points today. I'm going to try to get through both of them. But, but, but authentic Christians. You know, Peter begins working through what it looks like. Because, see, remember we looked at the, the, the fact that God is refining the souls of believers to help them to look more like Jesus, right? Now, he doesn't just give the general principle for that. What he begins to do right here is now he's helping us to know what that actually looks like and what that process actually produces. And so look at verses. We, le- we left off last time at verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by obedience, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere Brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. One through three. So put all put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. These are some great verses because they're easy verses to pass by. But we're going to go line upon line and precept upon precept. And we're going to chop some of this up. Okay. And and, and, um, my first point, this this is my first point, authentic Christian. Suffering must help us develop authentic community with other Christians. Suffering must help us develop authentic community with other Christians. This text reeks of authenticity. Look at the words that it, that it uses to talk about authenticity. Where did I get this from? Verse 22, it says purified, underline purified. If you have an ESV version, if you have another version, that word may, may, may show up differently. Sincere earnestly, pure, again, heart. All of these words here in this text help us to work through the fact that Peter is looking for Christians to have authenticity. But one of the ways he says your authenticity is tested is when you go through, do you isolate yourself from others Or do you get in relationship with others? Because when you're going through, as we've been talking about, when you've been, when God has sovereignly pitched trials your way or he has allowed trials to come your way, he's looking for you to be real. Now, you can talk, keep it real all you want to. But keep it real doesn't become a reality until you're going through something where being real is difficult. 
And so when you're going through, it's easy to be faking the funk, like we used to say, being a phony. But Paul does something beautiful here. He tells us, Peter does something beautiful here. He focuses in on the word purify. Say purify. It's interesting. He says, having purified yourselves or your souls, interesting, by your obedience to the truth, interesting. Now, notice last week we talked about the blood of Jesus. We talked about, and this is still in the theme of God's holiness. We talked about God's intrinsic and extrinsic holiness, but then we talk about the holiness that's imputed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Whenever something in the Old Testament was made holy, the, 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 the priests would kill that thing, the blood would come out, and they would sprinkle it on the utensils, and God would announce that it's holy. Well, that's what Jesus did to us based on Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Now, when we talk about obedience, because this word obedience can kind of frustrate you. But remember the first message when it talked about in verse 3 of chapter 1. It's actually verse 2. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus Christ said something in John 15. John 15, he said, I believe it's verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the what word I spoke to you. Interesting. What is he talking about here? Romans, Romans in several, several places talk about our need to be obedient to the gospel. Now, let's go back to the word purify and then I'm going to dive into that idea of obedience in relation to purification. Now, when he says purify yourselves, listen, every believer has been positionally purified. All of us. You're not trying to get consecrated anymore. You are consecrated. You've been taken from common usage to consecrated usage, right? But now, during the, in the process of sanctification, through the spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to talk about some of those today because he mentions one in particular that's very, actually two disciplines, he lists very carefully in this passage, is one of those things is purifying our souls for obedience. In other words, continuing to walk in the work of Christ as his blood has positionally put us in the place of total consecration, removed us from commonality, put us in the realm of consecration, but now we're not as consecrated as we should be, practically. And so daily, there are things that we have to work through in relation to continuously acting like we're no longer just common, but that now we have been consecrated. And so it has to become a practice for each and every one of us to live extremely consecrated lives. And one of those ways in which he talks about it is, he says, um, purifying your souls by your obedience. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's mainly our obedience to the gospel. Obedience to the gospel. How do you be obedient to the gospel? So many passages talk about the obedience to the gospel, Romans 1, 5, Romans 16, 26, Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, Acts 6, verse 7, talks about our need to be obedient to the gospel. So belief is actually obeying the gospel. 
And so what we need to begin to do as believers, as we look at this, is begin to see the gospel again, as we have been saying over and over and over again. The gospel doesn't just justify you, but what also does it do? Sanctify you. Let me say it again. It doesn't just justify you, but it what? So it's continuous, meticulous usage of the gospel in the process of your Christian life. Now, Peter is helping us to learn how to practically utilize the gospel, especially when we're going through trials. Because whenever God allows you to go through difficult times, that's the context of this. You must not just look at what you need to do for yourself. You need to first look at what Jesus Christ did for you. Because if you start with yourself, you're going to get depressed. Some of us have made a bunch of lists of things that we want, like New Year's resolutions. They don't never work. Because they're based on goals of personal frustration with yourself that you want to do. And you read those into your life and you get frustrated because you come to the next year and guess what you didn't do? None of it. And so you got the same list. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to empower yourself through personal obedience based on trying to sanctify your flesh and your own power. But in this passage, that's why in the context, he talks about the blood of Christ first and Christ's obedience to death. And then he talks about ours. Now, let's go down where he begins working out practically in our lives to help us to look at what does it look like? What does it look like to begin in relation to our time of suffering to help us to have authentic community with other believers. And so he goes on after he talks about obedience to the truth. And he says, for a sincere brotherly love, for a sincere brotherly love. It's, uh, as I was doing, I love word studies. Y'all know I love word studies. And this word is an interesting word, sincere here. I, I like the way one lexicon said it. <laughs> One lexicon said the original meaning of this word means to be inexperienced in acting. In other words, it was, if a person was coming for an acting audition in Greco-Roman culture, they'd call him sincere. Why? Because he didn't know what he was doing in acting. So he didn't know how to act. What's beautiful in this passage in reading that idea in here is it's talking about authenticity. A believer that's really being impacted by God during suffering doesn't know how to act anymore. You stop fronting. I say broke down in ebonic terms. You stop fronting. In other words, you begin telling the truth about where you really are. You know, some of us don't, don't cry. That's, do you know crying is good for the soul? Some of y'all need to just wail sometime. You'll feel better. Dang, holding all the, that's, it's because crying is a form of confession. That's what Proverbs say, confession is good for the soul. See, many of us are not sensitive. We're actors. We're used to putting on Makeup and coming in. How are you doing, brothers and sisters? How are you? How you feeling? Oh, the Lord, I mean, blessed and highly favored of the Lord. 
I can't. I, I, I really don't like that. That's a whole other sermon. I don't like that statement. I just anyway. In other words, when people, and this is in the context of community, because he says for a sincere, he says not acting in your relationships with other believers. What's the Greek word here for brotherly love? Philadelphia, our city. In other words, you are not supposed to be acting in your relationships with other Christians. It's against the Bible. It's again, that's what the text is telling us is that God loves snuffing us out through throwing tear gas into our souls. <laughs> to stop you from front. Some of y'all, y'all look good. Your hair is always shaped up. You, you always got on cologne. You know, at the men's retreat this weekend, somebody had on Old Spice this morning, almost knocked me out of the, the cabin. Who had, who, I ain't gonna ask, man. Who had the Old Spice? <laughs> oh, my God, I ain't smelled Old Spice in about 30 years, man. Old Spice, oh, my goodness. In other words, <laughs> y'all so crazy. Our, our culture is set up for us to front. When, when you walk into a department store, the first thing you see is the perfume and the makeup counter. That's the first thing you see. Before you get to the clothes, you got the cologne, you got the makeup, and you got the jewelry. What's the first thing they do when you come in? You want us to... Now, I, I, I looked at a woman like she was crazy. Like... She, she was basically trying to get me to sit down and go through a process. Matter of fact, they got it now where the people use strings to give you, what you call the ladies? Eyebrow. They, they just be threading, lighting their eyebrows up, just going like that. In other words, our world is so heavily pushed on us building our lives around not being real. Now, I'm not talking about being unredemptively real, where you just ghetto and raggedy with yours. I'm just saying, you know, me and... Now, we ain't talking about you begin to curse in and... So I'm just being real, and you just got all time, and everybody got to go beep, till you finish being real in an unredeemed way. We're talking about redemptive realness. Say redemptive realness. See, we talk about redemptive realness, and God snuffs you out. God snuffs you out. You need to sit before God's people. And begin to say, let me, let me be honest with you. I, I am having a hard time. I am. Because God is going to keep you in that trial till you start being honest. God doesn't skip grades, babies. You got to pass the course. And he loves you enough to keep you there until he gets you to where you, he wants you to be. And some of you, your greatest sin has been your hiding. Because no, God is jealous. God is jealous. Know what he's jealous of? Because he wants to be our hiding place. Because when you're not being sincere, you're hiding in yourself. In your pride. In your desire to be viewed by people in a way that ain't real. 
That's idolatry. You need to just come on out of the cave, family. Men, we, 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 we big on that. You know, they about broke me up at the retreat yesterday. You know, where Clarity at? I'm putting him on church discipline. He almost knocked me out <laughs> while we were playing basketball. I, almost, I blacked out, couldn't see nothing. I said, I, and I tried to front like everything was okay, and I tried to play, and then I felt like somebody had hit me again. <laughs> Plus, I was kind of out of breath because the young cats were, and I'm out of shape, so I had to get out of the game. But I was, I was trying to, you know, men, we're used to getting, taking a licking and keep on ticking. And we always want to front like, uh, you, you sprain your ankle, you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, pass the ball to me. <laughs> we're we used to that. Ask some of you ladies, it's okay, I'm okay. The Lord has been blessing, like you making up all this stuff that God ain't doing. <laughs> or it's real general, that's how you know. Things are different these days. I'm sensing the Lord's presence more. Um, I've been in my Bible. Um, I've been praying. Um, in other words, there's a generality about it. I'm not saying you go broadcast your stuff to everybody. Because you don't cast your pearls before swine because they will trample it under feet. That's Bible. And so, but what you want to begin to do is we're not going to have healthy churches until we have confessing Christians. That's a discipline. And it's not just you. Well, I went before the Lord with it. No. You need, you need to be in brotherly Philadelphia relationships with Christians. And that's what we're hoping our small groups would even become. A place of an authentic confession, not you saying it before the whole small group, like, but now, no, let, me, let me back up. Because some of us are always confessing. All the time. Without repentance. And so it's a repetitive, like I remember I used to do, when I was a youth pastor, I used to do altar calls. I don't do them no more. I used to do altar calls, the same three people <laughs> would trust Jesus every time. The same three people were struggling with the same things all the time, and they would go from person to person dumping. Then when they get tired of dumping, you go over here, you dump. See, that's not sincerity. That's selfishness and a lack of repentance. But I, I, I hope that, and we hope that this can be an authentic, not just weighty doctrine. That's good. But lives that have a place to put that doctrine. Because when you're not being sincere, you don't have any place to put biblical information because you got a wall up in relation to what God wants you to receive. So he calls us to sincere brotherly kindness. Look at this. It's interesting. He goes from there and he says, he said, obedience to the truth for the purpose of our obedience to the gospel is so that we would not be actors. We would be genuine. We would be real. Brotherly love, and it says love one another. Say love one another. That's, that's one of the one another's. I challenge you, get out your concordance and look up one another and go through the New Testament and grab all of them. But this is one of those, the, the, the one another's are those things that Christians share in common that help them to practically practice community. Practically practicing community through their love. And notice he says, love one another, and then he puts an adverb behind it. He says, earnestly. This is an interesting word. I did a, I did a study on this word. It's an interesting word. I love word studies, I told y'all. And 
I found out that this is the same word used by Jesus when he was in, well, used of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, and he came out and went. And this is when he's going to the cross. This, this was his prayer, right? Before he went to the cross. And it says, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then it says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Check it out. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I would love, I don't, I've always been curious about what that strengthening looked like. I didn't know if he was quoting the Old Testament to him about prophecies, about him fulfilling. I don't know what, I would, I would love to know what way an angel was, was in encouraging my God. Verse 44. It says, and being in agony. No one had touched Jesus by this point. No nails hit him. No cannon whips hit him. But listen to what it says. And being in agony, he prayed earnestly. His prayer became deeply Authentic. It's, it's, it's a word that points to the heaviness of someone who's going through something and they're forced. Now, Jesus, of course, is perfect. But for us, he was forced into authenticity. Earnestly. Earnestly. It, it, in other words, authenticity and realness. Then it says, look at where it wants it. Adverb says it. It says, love one another earnestly. Where? From a pure Heart. Interesting. Heart here is, this, is interesting. It, it's the same idea we've been talking about heart for the last three years. It means loving people intellectually, loving people passionately, and loving people volitionally. Intellectually, passionately, and volitionally. In other words, the place where the love that we put towards believers when we go through must come from the right way of thinking. In other words, it should not be a burden. Because one of the ways in which the law is fulfilled is that we love our neighbor as our what? Self. Now, that's easy when everything's going all right. But listen, he's telling the person that's going through trials to love people while they're in their trials. In other words, your trial is not an excuse for you to receive love only, but for you to give love to others. So in other words, you're supposed to have an on-dutiness. Your authenticity is not just you pouring out your heart before people, but also hearing from people, even though you're loaded and weighted yourself. It's, a, it's, it's easy when you go through to ball up in a corner and have a, a, a raggedy pity party. But God allows weights on your life so that you can see whether or not you can be authentic even in the midst of it. I remember a guy was in the gym and he was just, he was, he was just, he was doing the, the, the tricep exercise. He was going like this, you know, doing the tricep exercise. 
and, and I, I was looking at him. I was uh, uh, watching him do it. And, and, and he had all this with the whole thing on it. Crack out, crack out. He was knocking it out, right? And, and I, said, I, said, I said, what's up, man? How you feeling, man? He was like, oh, good, man. Just, you know, your boy got to get his workout on. I was like, okay. Um, yo, man, like the way you're doing that, like it's not really going to work that muscle. And he was like, okay, show me. I said, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not gay, but I'm going to just hold your elbows. And I said, I want you with that same weight. I want you with that same weight to try to lift it, and I'm going to isolate your elbows right here. And I just want you, I want you, when you pull it down, to bring it right here and stop. And when you get to the bottom, I want you to do, your, do like this. That dude, he, he said, tuk, 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 you know, going like this, shaking and shivering and carrying on. And I said, see, it was easy when you weren't under any stress. But when you had to really apply it so that it will actually work the muscles, you weren't able to do anything. Why? Because you, you, you were so used to lifting it when it was easy. But you really didn't develop any strength because you weren't any, under any stress to make you stronger. See, that's what God does to you. It's easy for you to lift when the situation is easy. But when God locks you in, and won't let you get away with your usual fronting and says to you, look, I'm going to isolate your spiritual elbows. And now try to lift the same weight you were lifting. See, now you see that you're really working out now. The Christian life and about suffering is not us being masochists, but us being in a place where we see what we're really made of before him. But listen, this is a group of people that are going through trials together. See, this is community. So that means that other people that are going through need to learn how to get with others who are going through at the same time. And you need to be a mutual encouragement because it's not just about individual sanctification. It's about community sanctification. And he's not talking to individuals. He's talking to a community. And so that means that it's very, very important that we tighten it. I'm not talking about singing Kumbaya with a guitar. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about real authentic relationship where you begin to develop deep relationships with others and you don't isolate yourself during trials. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a techie as much as I, I would like to be. I usually was graduating with the techiness, but I'm not techie as I thought I was. Somebody gave me an Xbox 360. And I didn't know you can do all of this stuff you can do on it. You can plug your Xbox into the Internet. And you can play the same video game with a bunch of other people. And not only play the game with those, you won't be in the game by yourself. So usually you'll be playing the game by yourself, going through the world. But now when you're in there, you could be in it with 10 to 15 other people. And they're in the game with you. And you, the, the game that was hard for you to play by yourself you can play with a whole bunch of people who are in the same situation and in the same board and on the same level of the game. I thought about the Christian life. We got to plug in, y'all. We got to plug into the spiritual internet and begin to biblically work together while we're going through difficult times and not isolate ourselves. Second point, then I'll be out your way. Second point, and I'll be out your way. Suffering must help us develop authentic 
relationship, an authentic relationship to the word of God. Suffering must help us develop an authentic relationship with the scriptures. Check this out. This is beautiful. Look, look, at, look, at, well, look at what he says. He says, verse 23. And he says, since you have been born again, not according to perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains for ever and this is the word it uh it is the good news that was preached to you check this out interesting can't see it in english but there are two different words for word used here there's rhema and there's lagos now i know some of you heard of rhema and i'm probably very scared of how you've heard of rhema because usually rhema is somebody telling you something that they equate to the bible but it's not in the bible that's not rhema. Somebody, I got a rhema word for you. And start just spitting some old goofiness out. A rhema word. I got your rhema. But listen. Verse, verse, um, verse 23, it says, through the living and abiding word of God. That's lagos. Lagos is, of course, as we remember from John 1.1, is a logical word or the written word. So we have the living and abiding word, right? So the word of God remains and it's actually alive. Alive meaning it's doing something, abiding meaning that it remains. And then he pulls on Isaiah 40 and talks about God's commitment to what he says. And, what, and what's interesting is when Peter writes this, he doesn't use Lagos, he uses Rhema. Now, I would have thought that he would have used Rhema. But Rhema is a spoken word based on the written word. Let me say that again. Rhema is a spoken word based on the written word. So he says we have the living and abiding. It's alive. It does stuff. It's not dead. It, it, it's living. He says it's abiding. It remains. Then he says all flesh is like grass and all, the, and, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the rhema of the Lord remains forever. Interesting. He goes lagos, rhema, lagos. Interesting. So what, what, what he, and then he's going to explain what specific lagos that the spoken word rhema is talking about. Beautiful what he does. He basically says the only words that come out of human mouths that God will get behind are words that God would say based on the scriptures. So, so, so he's not like sometimes in trials you can get twisted. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to talk. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. So then he says, and this word, this, this, this uh, rhema is the good news that was preached to you. So he uses Isaiah 40 and talks about the word that he's talking about is a proclamational word, which is the gospel. So what he's saying here is the same thing we said before. In other words, we need to be looking at what we call a gospel centered hermeneutic. 
What do we mean by that? When you look into the written word of God, whatever you say about the written word of God must be read through the grid of the gospel. So he says to them, he said, he says, and this word, what word? The Lagos and the Rhema is the good news about Jesus. Now, look at the latter part of verse two. He says, let, let's look at verse two. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter two. He says, so put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. It's interesting. If you look in Ephesians chapter four, Galatians, uh, 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 Galatians chapter five, um, and you look at um, you look at uh, 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 Colossians chapter three. These words are used to talk about the divisiveness that believers usually have among one another. And God is calling them beyond their divisiveness. Now, look at what he does here in this verse two. Right. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Beautiful. So what he's saying here is helpful. Because now he's helping them to grow in respect to the gospel, but based on the written word. But then he uses a, um, a word that's usually, like when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and you go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, you will see that milk is actually something that the apostles usually say should not be a part of the regular regiment of the Christian's life. So when you see Paul talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, and, 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 and the writer of Hebrews talk about it in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, he tells them that they have to start over the Christian life because they have been stagnant in their spiritual growth. Therefore, I can't feed you porterhouse steaks and, and ribeyes, you know what I'm saying, and, 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 and filet mignons. I got to now go back to milk. Now, here it's used differently because he doesn't use milk in a negative facet. He applies milk to all believers. Now, the way he's using milk here is saying that every single Christian must long for the pure milk of the word. Now, pure, he's talking about a consecrated word. Now, I ain't talking about some consecrated word that somebody came out with. I'm talking about a consecrated word based on the Bible. Now, what, what he does is he's talking, about, he's talking about the fact that while you're going through trials, be careful what you listen to. Because some people will lie to you during your trials to make you feel better. He says, long for the pure milk of the word. You know, one of the things that they want mothers to do is breastfeed. Because breast milk is better than Similac and all of that stuff. It's from the mama. It nurtures the baby much better. This is the idea here. In other words, he's not, he says, I don't want you to use surrogate milk. I want you to use pure spiritual milk. In other words, I don't want you to be so frustrated with the difficulty that you're going through that you'll hear anything from anyone from any place. See, Paul says there will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will want their ears tickled. The, the time where we most when our ears tickled is when we're going through something difficult. Tell me I'm going to come out. Tell me everything's going to be all right. Tell me my breakthrough is coming. But nobody's telling you the word from God says stay there until you get mature. That don't pack churches. Stay there. That dude, he ain't on point. He ain't solid in the faith. He ain't give me no hope of breakthrough. It's interesting. David said in Psalm 4.1, he says, you have delivered me in my distress. Notice the preposition. 
Y'all didn't hear that, did you? He didn't say from my distress. He said in my distress. In other words, in other words, what he's saying is, God, even if you don't take me out of what I'm going through, at least give me a sense of perspective while I'm going through it. See, can you pray like that? Can you pray that God don't take you out? Some of y'all are praying for exit signs and God has got you still in entrance signs. Y'all looking, for, y'all, y'all looking for some fire extinguishers and exit doors. And God has shut every doggone door for you to remain in it until you begin asking and praying the right things. But until you become sincere, you're not going to get to the point in the trial to where you can pray the right way. That's why you got to have sincere relationships with Christians so that you can say where you honestly are so that you can minister to one another so you can usher one another through the process of the difficulty so that you will begin to say, God, even if you don't take me out, I want to be like you. Can you pray that? Can you pray, God? I, I, I mean, God, if my life never changes, as long as I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, keep me here. Can you pray that? Can you say that? Or can you just say, God, I need a breakthrough. You watching these cats lying to you on the television set. Somebody out there is going through a trial where everybody goes through stuff. That ain't no prophetic utterance. That ain't unique. Dr. Phil could come up with that when somebody's going through a trial. God told me to tell you you're coming out. And you in there shouting, running around the room crying. And you still stay in it for a while and you keep hearing that for a year. And God is going to zoom your behind in. You better stop liking lying preachers, false teachers who tell you good things that you want to hear. Be careful of that which makes your ears feel good. Usually it's not a word from the Lord. It's not a rhema and it's not a lagos. If you want a real Lagos and you want a real Rhema, you need to learn how to accept all that God says. People want to talk about the whole counsel of God and all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. But they don't talk about everything that God says in his Bible. That's the pure milk of the word. In other words, God, I don't care how you hand it to me. Just give it to me like you said it. Can you accept how God wants to talk to you while you're going through your difficulty? It's a great act of love. It's a great act of love. That's why you need to be with other believers because you need somebody to tell you behind the truth. You need somebody to tell you the truth. Everything's going to be all right. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Stop, drop, and roll ain't been working. You on fire. See, we got to we got to want all that God has to say to us and accept it in tears. God will say stuff to you that's hard through the body. Say stuff hard to you and you'll think somebody I mean, I, when I discipline my son sometimes I say, do I hate you or do I love you? He'll say, you love me. I said, did I hurt your feelings? He said, sometimes. And I say, well, son, um, sometimes my hurting of your feelings is the greatest act of love I can do for you. And I kiss him and I hug him, but I say, you still going to get a whooping. <laughs> Being in this walk, y'all, you're going to be an authentic Christian. 
You got to accept everything that God says to you. But you got to be able to hear it. God ain't told me yet. That's because you ain't listening. That's the famous one. If he ain't said it to me, he ain't said it. But in this text, it's actually talking about the relationship of the believer in trials to the word of God and the people of God. And they're inseparable. So you can't not be in relationships. I know I split up something just now. But you, you, you cannot be a Christian alone. That is not Christianity. But especially when you're going through. Because that's why many people go back out into sin. Because they're sitting alone at home, vegging out with the TV set, with no word from God and no people of God. And then they think God doesn't care. And they think God has nothing biblically to say to them. And then you'd be like, what happened to so-and-so? So our desire is authentic Christians. Like my boy said, he said, I want it all. Give me that. Fire. Give me that rain. Give me that fresh wind. Come on, Doc. <laughs> I like the part of the song where he says, give me that pain. I want it all. All of it. When you say you want to be like Jesus, be careful of what you're asking for. Because that's a prayer that God will answer. <laughs> and don't be confused when he starts chiseling at you. But I pray, I pray, I pray that we as believers would have beautiful unadulterated relationships with one another. And he ends beautifully. He, see, he ends beautifully. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He said, receive the pure milk of the word. Receive all that God has for you. And he says, he says, now, the only way you can receive that if you've actually tasted of the real God. Some of us have been handed a phony God. You've grown up in church and you've been handed some phony dude that only loves you. God doesn't only love you. He allots of things to us. But as you grow to know your God, when, 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 when he allows something to hurt you, you begin to look up and say, God, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain right now. I'm confused. I'm confused, God. Like, I'm trying to walk with you. I'm confused. But I know what, the, what you're like. And I know that something good has to come out of this in me. You may not give me more money. Jesus, you may not give me a house. You may not, you, you may not make me a multi-bill. You, you may not do any of those things. But I know one thing for sure that you'll do. That's always an open ear in heaven for this. That I would be like Jesus. And you can't be like Jesus 
without Jesus' people. Father.